This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of hip resurfacing from the recon section on orthobullets.com. We will first start with a brief introduction and discussion on the history of hip resurfacing, then discuss the indications, contraindications, advantages and disadvantages, outcomes, and complications of hip resurfacing. Beginning with the history of hip resurfacing, it is notable to discuss the prior versions of hip resurfacing that failed in the past due to the use of larger femoral heads on polyethylene, which led to increased volumetric wear and high rates of osteolysis. Modern resurfacing techniques, however, which have been approved by the FDA in 2006, have made the following changes. They now use metal-on-metal components and a larger femoral head. They were very popular 10 years ago, particularly in younger patients, due to less femoral bone resection. Moving on to discuss the indications and contraindications of hip resurfacing, the indications are controversial but can be considered in patients with advanced arthritis and good proximal femoral bone stock. The best outcomes are seen in younger males with good bone stock. Patients with proximal femoral deformity making total hip arthroplasty difficult may also be considered for hip resurfacing. This procedure is contraindicated in patients with bone stock deficiency of the femoral head or neck, such as in patients with cystic degeneration of the femoral head. Relative contraindications include coxavera, significant leg length discrepancies, female sex of childbearing age, which is a controversial contraindication, and renal failure. Coxavera is a relative contraindication for hip resurfacing as it has an increased risk for neck fractures. Significant leg length discrepancies are a relative contraindication as resurfacing does not allow leg length corrections. Female sex of childbearing age is a relative contraindication due to the fact that metal ions can cross the placenta, though again this is a controversial contraindication, and renal failure is a relative contraindication as functional kidneys are required to excrete metal ions. Hip resurfacing carries various advantages and disadvantages. The advantages of hip resurfacing include preservation of femoral bone stock, a better stability compared to standard small head THAs, those of small head sizes include those between 22 to 32 millimeters. Improved restoration of hip biomechanics with lower risk of limb length discrepancies. And that revision may be easier than an intramedullary THA. The disadvantages of hip resurfacing are a lack of modularity with the inability to adjust length or correct offset. And often requires larger exposure than the conventional THA to perform hip resurfacing. Moving on to discuss outcomes of hip resurfacing, they have been found to have a variable outcome in the literature, with 79 to 98% success rate reported. Better results are found in patients who are younger and larger males with excellent bone stock who are treated for osteoarthritis rather than for dysplasia or osteonecrosis. Some case series have shown survival comparable to conventional THA, while others have reported higher rates of early revision. Some products have been removed from the market due to early failure. More recent prospective trials have shown few differences between resurfacing and total hip arthroplasty. There are several important complications to discuss when reviewing hip resurfacing. These include periprosthetic femoral neck fracture, implant loosening, heterotopic ossification, metallosis, dislocation, and pseudotumor. Regarding periprosthetic femoral neck fracture, 
there is a 0 to 4% incidence, which is more common than is seen in THA. Periprosthetic femoral neck fracture is the most common early complication, being seen within the first three years, and is a frequent cause for revision in the acute postoperative period, being seen within 20 weeks postoperatively. The mechanism is thought to be related to osteonecrosis, and a fracture pattern is typical with a vertical fracture line from the neck down to the lesser trochanter. Risk factors for periprosthetic femoral neck fracture include femoral neck notching, which can be prevented by placing the implant in slight valgus rather than slight varus, osteoporotic bone, large areas of pre-existing avascular necrosis, femoral neck impingement from a malaligned acetabular component, female sex, and varus positioning of the femoral component. Periprosthetic femoral neck fracture often presents as groin pain, and treatment is a conversion to a primary total hip arthroplasty. A cerclage wire can be placed above the lesser trochanter to prevent fracture propagation during stem insertion. Regarding the risk of aseptic implant loosening in hip resurfacing, early loosening of the cemented femoral resurfacing component is most commonly seen. Regarding the risk of heterotopic ossification, there is a higher incidence of heterotopic ossification compared to total hip arthroplasty from the wider exposure often required for hip resurfacing. Metallosis is another important complication to discuss, and patients may experience elevated metal ion levels of cobalt, chromium, and an elevated cobalt-chromium ratio. Metallosis is seen in both the blood and the urine from the metal debris. The presentation and laboratory values seen in metallosis can mimic infection. They may present with an elevated synovial WBC due to metal debris and corrosion. Most cases of metallosis are related to edge loading of the implant. There is a small risk of dislocation, less than 1%, which is lower than the risk of dislocation seen in conventional THA. Finally, the risk of pseudotumor formation is seen in any metal-on-metal -metal implants just like resurfacing. This is more commonly seen in young patients of female sex and is often asymptomatic. Symptomatic patients may require revision surgery. Now that we've gotten a general overview of this topic, let's review a couple questions to see how this material has been tested in the past. Question 1. A 45-year-old male presents with increasing left groin pain. He has a history of bilateral hip avascular necrosis and underwent bilateral hip resurfacing arthroplasties three years ago. He is a recreational runner and recently ran a 10-kilometer race several weeks ago. AP radiograph of the pelvis demonstrates bilateral implants with increased inclination angle of the left acetabular component. Serum testing demonstrates a cobalt level of 10 micrograms per liter with a reference value of 0.8 to 5.1 micrograms per liter and a chromium level of 7 micrograms per liter, with a reference value of 0.5 to 2.5 micrograms per liter. What is the likely cause of this patient's symptoms? Answer 1. Iliopsoas tendonitis. Answer 2. Edge loading. Answer 3. Prosthetic joint infection. Answer 4. Increased activity-related wear. Or answer 5. Femoral neck stress fracture. The correct answer is 2. Edge loading. 
This patient is presenting with increased left hip pain after bilateral Birmingham hip resurfacing arthroplasties and has elevated ion levels consistent with metallosis. The most likely cause of metallosis in this patient is the edge loading of the implant. Hip resurfacing arthroplasty is a bone preserving procedure that is favorable in young male patients and utilizes metal on metal articulations. Metallosis is, therefore, a concerning complication of these implants and can result in pseudotumor formation and subsequent destruction of the hip abductors. Patients presenting with a painful prosthesis should be screened with metal ion levels as well as a metal artifact reduction sequence MRI. Possible causes of metallosis include edge loading, component malpositioning, third body wear, impingement, and sensitivity to cobalt. Brooks performed a retrospective review of patients undergoing Birmingham hip resurfacing arthroplasty with regards to outcomes. The author found a 0.23% rate of metallosis in the study population, with all cases being attributed to edge loading. The author recommended a preoperative CT scan and lateral pelvic radiographs to prevent component malposition and better identify surgical candidates. Matharu et al. performed a prospective cohort study examining metal ion levels in patients with bilateral BHRs. The authors found that cobalt, chromium, and the cobalt-chromium ratio, as well as maximum cobalt and chromium levels, to all be significantly higher in patients with metallosis. They recommended use of a cutoff of 5.7 micrograms per liter for cobalt and 5.5 micrograms per liter for chromium for the diagnosis of metallosis in patients with bilateral BHRs. Regarding the incorrect answers, answer 1, iliopsoas tendinitis, is incorrect as it is a cause of hip pain in patients with hip arthroplasty. However, this would not cause the patient to have increased metal ion levels. Answer 3, a periprosthetic joint infection could cause the patient to have increasing pain in their hip, but would not cause elevated metal ion levels. Answer 4. Regarding increased physical activity, studies have not shown that increased physical activity leads to elevated metal ion levels. And finally, answer 5. Femoral neck stress fractures are a potential complication in the acute postoperative period, but this would not cause elevation in metal ion levels. Moving on to question 2. A 51-year-old male presents with worsening left hip pain over the past 8 months. The patient reports hip surgery 5 years prior, and radiographs taken show a metal-on-metal -metal hip resurfacing arthroplasty with supraacetabular osteolysis. His CRP level is within normal limits, and ESR is at the upper limit of normal. And an automated cell count following aspiration of the hip yields a WBC of 15,000 per microliter with a reference range of 4,500 to 11,000 per microliter, and an 85% PMN count. Metal ion testing reveals elevated serum cobalt and chromium levels. What is the next best step? Answer 1. Manual cell count of synovial fluid. Answer 2. Two-stage revision arthroplasty. Answer 3. Acetabular cup revision with bone grafting. Answer 4, femoral revision with cerclage wire placement. Or answer 5, hip arthrodesis. The correct answer is 1, manual cell count of synovial fluid. 
The patient has had a metal-on-metal -metal hip resurfacing arthroplasty with osteolysis. It is likely that his WBC count is falsely elevated secondary to metal debris and corrosion. The next best step is a manual cell count to evaluate for metal debris, clots, fragmented cells, or other defects preventing accurate automated cell count. Diagnosis of infection in the setting of metal-on-metal -metal bearing surface can be difficult given very similar presentations. Typical workup includes CRP, ESR, synovial fluid WBC, and differential. Metal debris and corrosion reactions can confound the synovial fluid analysis, leading to falsely elevated WBC counts in cases of aseptic failure. Prosthetic joint infections, or PJIs, and metallosis can occur concurrently, so aggressive diagnostic testing is important for surgical decision making. Manual cell count of synovial fluid samples can identify metal debris and avoid false positives from automated cell testing. Supplementary tests such as Mars MRI, metal ion levels, manual cell count, and repeat aspiration can help guide appropriate management in these scenarios. Yi et al. investigated ESR, CRP, synovial WBC, and differential in diagnosing PJI in the setting of metal-on-metal -metal hips or non-metal-on-metal -metal hips undergoing revision for corrosion or full thickness wear. They found that synovial fluid WBC count can be confounded by inaccurate automated cell counts secondary to foreign material and degenerating cells. They conclude that diagnosis of PJI in the setting of failed metal-on-metal -metal bearings or corrosion is difficult due to the falsely positive synovial fluid WBC. Carothers et al. evaluated the prevalence of complications of hip resurfacing arthroplasty. They found the most common complication was fracture of the femoral neck, followed by loosening of the acetabular component, femoral head collapse, loosening of a femoral component, infection, aseptic lymphocyte-dominated vasculitis-associated lesions, loosening of both components, and malposition of the acetabular component. They conclude that knowledge of complications following hip resurfacing is important to select patients and counsel them on the risks prior to surgery. Regarding the incorrect answers, answer 2, a two-stage revision arthroplasty, would be indicated if the aspiration and lab values were consistent with infection. Answers 3 and 4, acetabular cup revision or femoral revision, in isolation would not address the problem of metallosis. And answer 5, hip arthrodesis would not be indicated in this young patient with metallosis. That is all for this review about hip resurfacing. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website, or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value so far from the OrthoBullets podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you are not already, please be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the Ortho Bullets podcast.